Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me. We talk rookies. Harris Johnson Jr. and the rest of the 2023 draft class hit the field for the first time over the weekend. What we see, what we learn, and let's not forget about the undrafted free agents. Some names to be familiar with. But first, some important news for Paul. It's Cardinals Cover 2, episode 645, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Buda Baker, what heart, what threat. This guy's unbelievable. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, at the 5, he's in again! Some more Murray Magic! Wow! Here's Craig Grealoux. So glad we waited until Monday to discuss what we are going to discuss, the focus of the show here. But first things first, the news of the day, maybe Paul, the news of the week, maybe for you, the news of the month, and that is the fact oh. that we have a brand new punter on the Arizona Cardinals roster. There was no punter drafted, much to your disappointment, but the Cardinals mm-hmm. did add a punter and a familiar name to those around town. Okay, so we're starting with the snark, <laughs> with a side of ridicule. With a side of ridicule here, that's cool. You know, uh, there are two positions that you might minimize and dismiss, and even make fun of yours truly for emphasizing that would be long snapper and punter except when you get to the regular season and you don't have one good luck because it's brutally obvious and it will cost you games if you don't have that punter or that long snapper two positions that are largely overlooked I agree with the former yes long snapper we have determined is extremely important for this franchise and we'll see if Aaron Brewer gets added to this roster at some point not quite yet you've got two young prospects at long snapper but the puncher news you have Nolan Cooney from that fine central New York institution in upstate New York Syracuse University and they have added Matt Hawk the former ASU Sun Devil six-year veteran Dolphins Bills and most recently the Colts This team, despite the very successful season individually of Andy Lee a year ago, might be trying to get younger at that position. Well, that's saying saying it all. I mean, going into last season, there were two players who were over 40 years of age, Tom Brady and Andy Lee. So, yes, they're trying to look at the future of that position. There's no question. Matt Hawk, a six-year veteran, has played nearly 100 games. So you like the experience. Uh, has the ability to throw the ball, sort of like an Andy Lee. There are just go ahead and uh, search it out on the internet. There are a number of videos of him being able to uh, to pull the the fake punt and execute that. So we know that's to the liking of a Jeff Rogers, and he has a pretty good track record in his career of putting punts inside the twenty, which is another Andy Lee specialty. So when it comes to field position, he excels at that. He was undrafted out of ASU, and he's played six years in the league. You know, rookie punters can be a little dicey don't know exactly what you have you love to go into a season feeling pretty darn confident that you can count on your punter and your kicker and your long snapper so Matt Hawk would check that box but if Nolan Cooney who definitely he he was brought here for a reason by Jeff Rogers he has a lot of potential I think the coaching staff is bullish on him and although a lot of people already on Twitter responded with, well, I think we know who won the job there, Paulie Pencilneck, uh, not so quick. I think the Cardinals, there's a reason Nolan Cooney, after 
all the offseason changes and the big purge that was this past offseason that Cooney's still around. Cooney, 26 years old, was with the Cardinals during training camp a year ago. Hawk is 28. He'll be 29 when the season begins. And with respects to Andy Lee, who will be 41 when the season begins, that is, if he chooses to play. I, I haven't heard anything. He's yet to sign with anyone. And the same draft class or the same class as Larry Fitzgerald, just to put it into perspective, how long Andy's been playing, if he does play in 2023 with the Cardinals or any other team, Paul, year 20 in wow. the NFL. Wow. Yeah, and, and look, there's something to be said for that. And, and let's not minimize the chemistry between your kicker and your punter, who has also been the holder. So, and look, there was a stretch there where Andy Lee was not available two years ago for Matt Prater, and things got sideways. So you need to figure out in camp, even maybe in June in mandatory minicamp, if it's a disaster, you'll know right away. If Matt Hawk and Matt Prater aren't, a, uh, aren't syncing up, Nolan Cooney, you should know pretty much at this point how those two, but don't think that the kicker won't have a say in this to some degree because you need to have that sort of that sort of collaboration with the holder, and then when you're looking at a new long snapper, guess what? They better get some offseason reps. Three positions that no one talks about going into a game, but certainly we'll talk about coming out of a game because when things go bad, and that is your long snapper, your holder, your punter, and your kicker. And obviously I just mentioned four positions, but it's three players for four positions because I think we've been spoiled the last several years when you had a veteran at every single spot. I'm reminded of the words last month that Jonathan Gannon said in response to, I forget what the question was, but the response was, Everything is a competition. Yes, even at the specialist positions, that's going to be the case. So, hey, you know what? I, I think it's just part of the new culture. It's part of hitting the reset button. It's part of a brand new staff. Everyone's going to have to prove themselves. I mean, you come out of rookie minicamp and they cut Manny Jones. You that th was a bit of a surprise. At least, at least yeah, to us. To yes. us it was. I mean, you know, I, I thought he showed pretty well. And as a young guy going into year two, you thought, okay, maybe just maybe at least had a future going into camp. At least had a shot. And so I, I think these sort of things send a message that it is truly about competition. And guess what? Not many guys are going to have much equity with this coaching staff. Hawk won the job over the weekend. He was one of four trial players invited to rookie minicamp. Really a, a different rookie minicamp, Paul, than we have seen over the last several years. 23 total players, really 21, because Garrett Williams was off on the side. He continues to deal with rehab for an ACL injury. And then Keetrell Clark only joined the team until Sunday after graduating from Louisville on Saturday. So big props to Clark, who is going to sign or has signed as we speak here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. So add him to the list of draft picks who is under contract. That leaves just two left, Williams and B.J. Ojolari. But 21 total players, including nine, or I should say seven draft picks, 10 undrafted free agents, and four trial players. It was a much different rookie minicamp during the hour that we were on the field to able to watch on Friday than we have seen because there was no barely any teamwork it was all individual yeah. instruction even when you looked at the position groups you're like okay where are the offensive linemen well it was barely men men it was almost offensive line man because there were only two and then you look over at the d-line group with a d-line coach and there's two and so 
here is very interesting to see. Is this an actual camp practice or is this a pro day? What, what's going on out here? Um, but those guys who were involved got a lot of reps. They got a long look. They coached Jonathan Gannon, easily walked from position group to position group, getting a firsthand look at all the rookies, the tryout guys, anyone and everyone. Clayton Toon was the only quarterback. He was there working by himself. I will say this, and it's, it's sort of slanted in favor of the receivers because they're actually running full speed and they're catching the ball and they're doing a lot more than maybe some of the other positions like the linemen who are just sort of blocking on air and working against bags and so forth in shorts. But do you not think that Michael Wilson looked the part? The receiver out of Stanford, 6'3", man, he, he, he just looked crisp. I mean, he, he looked good. And then when he met the media, he sounded good. I mean, he, he is really polished both as an interview and as a route runner. I thought he was impressive. Just the size of Daniel Arias, the other receiver, the undrafted kid out of Colorado, he's 6'3". You're like, okay, could that be something? And then the fact that, you know, one of the two offensive linemen, obviously Paris Johnson Jr., number six overall, but then John Gaines, and they're working him at center. Is that out of necessity? Or is he truly going to be given every shot to win that job? It certainly sounds like there is going to be an open competition at that center position. And when you look at the fact that there were 31 coaches, including strength training staff on the field, and just 21 players. So, yeah, the individual work and then just getting their feet wet more than anything because the question was asked to Jonathan Gannon about why not many tryout players, only four. By the way, your Seahawks, Pete Carroll, they yeah. had 31 tryout players Wow, over the weekend. Wow! So that's more than the Cardinals even had players on the field for their rookie minicamp. But the reason why, Gannon said, quote, we wanted to maximize the time with the guys that are going to be here, end quote. So you couldn't get too much but what you did see was all right this is how we want to teach this is how we want you to play whether you're lining up the technique swim moves how to place your hands whether you're blocking or pushing off as far as a receiver or a db so a lot of individual instruction because once the rookies and veterans mix all of a sudden those rookies take a back seat Unless, of course, you're Paris Johnson Jr. For example, at defensive line, you had Dante Stills, the sixth-round rookie out of West Virginia, and then the undrafted kid out of Michigan State, Jacob Slade. And they're working in the D-line drills. And as you're watching that and you realize that the Cardinals are thin at that position just in general and with the loss of a Zach Allen and a J.J. Watt, and you're thinking, okay, these two guys are going to be given every chance in August to actually crack the rotation because if you're going to need a rotation on game day of a half dozen defensive tackles, then guess what? These two guys could certainly be in the mix. What was your status worth repeating about Jacob Slade and, and what he was given as an undrafted guy out of Michigan State? Received $200,000 in guaranteed money as far as the deal that he signed. And guaranteed. I went back and looked. That is more than 13 players who were either re-signed, added in free agency, or claimed off waivers. So, again, it doesn't guarantee anything, but it certainly shows you how much this team wanted him. Maybe not wanted as much to draft him, but at least to secure his services to get him in a Cardinals uniform. And you know what? To me, if you're a Jacob Slade, you can either go up to Seattle and you can join a team that's coming off a playoff 
birth and they have 30-plus rookie free agents out there, or you can go to a team where you're going to get a long look and you're going to get every bit of NFL instruction and you're going to a team that has a serious need at your position, to me that's just that's just smart business. If you're a guy like Jacob Slade, you're trying to come to the Cardinals. So we'll see. I, I mean, I think a lot of these guys are, are really going to be part of the mix deep into training camp. And if they even begin to show that they are capable and ahead of the learning curve as a rookie, yeah, I think you're going to see them in September. Slade looked the part 6'3", 293. Dante still 6'4", 286. So you're going to need bodies on that defensive line, whether on the edge or the interior. We always talk about that interior pressure up the middle. Is that Rashard Lawrence? Is that Lucky Fotu? Is that LJ Collier? They have a number of names. There are 10 defensive linemen now that Manny Jones is no longer on the roster. Is there going to be further additions to that position? My guess is yes, maybe deeper into the offseason in training camp. But you need somebody to get some pressure and occupy those offensive linemen. Otherwise, the linebackers, especially the inside linebackers, they're going to be doing a ton of work. And now all of a sudden, that's the second level of your defense that is getting a lot of action. Speaking of the inside linebackers in this rookie minicamp, Kyle Soley out of ASU, and he played a lot of football for the Sun Devils over the last three years. He came to the Cardinals, and it was it was really um, it, it was gratifying to hear him just talk about how much he appreciated being with his hometown team and how many times he called it, quote, a dream come true, end quote, that going to Saguaro High School and then staying home to go to ASU and having watched the Super Bowl, what, as a nine-year-old? Yeah, did it, did it bother you at all, considering you were on the sideline for that Super Bowl yeah. run? I was back here in Arizona covering the team, but the fact that we had to do some math, courtesy our colleague Darren Urban, but yeah, Soli was nine years old That's, watching that game as we yeah. are maybe dating ourselves yeah, a little bit here. Yeah. That's all right. I mean, I, you know what? I, I remember the halftime show of Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> so, you know what? Uh, you know, he, he's older than, than both of us combined. So, yeah, I'm numb to it at this point, Greg. I, I really am, okay? Uh, as someone who's way out of the 18-34 to 34 demo. Anyway, after his press conference, Kyle Soley, here's a little anecdote for you. Longtime Channel 10 videographer Brad Gass. Good guy. Shot a lot of football. Really good photographer. I mean, Emmy Award winning. Great stuff. Great guy. He's been shooting ball for 30 years. He goes all the way back to the end of the Buddy Ryan era like yours truly. After the Kyle Soley press conference, he tapped me on the shoulder. He said, hey, over the last few years having shot ASU, he said, if there's one kid who's reminding me of Pat Tillman, and at that point he got my attention. My eyes went wide. He said, it's that kid right there. Kyle Soley, just his love for the game, just his ability to blow up the play, always be around the ball, which is what Pat Tillman was all about. Didn't have the measurables, didn't have the 40 speed. He was a throw-in seventh-round pick once upon a time, who two years later was the Cardinals' leading tackler, just out of just sheer will and want to. We all know Pat Tillman's story. And so if Kyle Soley can come in as that sort of player, no, look, nobody's putting Pat Tillman moniker on him but if he can be that sort of player I think that's another position where they've already moved Zayvon Collins out to outside linebacker and I'm going to believe my eyes until they tell me otherwise he's an outside linebacker what are they doing with Isaiah Simmons don't know they obviously flooded the offseason with inside linebackers and they brought him in I think that's wide open so if a Kyle Soley can come in out of this camp and he can be a guy 
that I, I think is going to be given every chance to call the defense in training camp. You know, the second and third teams, he's going to play the second half of these preseason games. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Once upon a time, that's what a Tony Jefferson did. Yep. Came out of Oklahoma, and he excelled in the second half of those preseason games to such a degree that, well, he forged himself a nice decade-long career in the NFL. And when you're an undrafted free agent, you're looking for that opportunity, and sometimes maybe you're not the most athletic. But if you know the defense, you know where you're supposed to do or where you're supposed to be quicker than maybe the starter or you know where that ball is going to be and you can anticipate the instincts, then all of a sudden you're making that tackle even though maybe you're not the fastest, the biggest, the strongest, but you have that football IQ, the smarts in order to make the roster, and in the case of Tony Jefferson, a great run in the NFL. Yeah. Remember Larry Foote, who's now the assistant coach with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers inside linebackers, and he went from the Cardinals' Mike linebacker to assistant coach in, in one year because he basically was a player coach his last year. He, he had no closing speed whatsoever, but he just made a go of it. And he was a viable starting inside backers last year in the league just because of the knowledge and the IQ and the instincts. And he, know, he knew where to be and he knew where the play was going before they snapped the ball. You know, a Todd Bowles type who's calling the play out as soon as they break the huddle. So if you can be that sort of guy. But again, to have a Brad Gass who's been shooting ball for 30 years, just unsolicited, say that's the kid at ASU who's one of the few that's ever reminded me of what Pat Tillman was like. Now, Pat Tillman was a Pac-10 defensive player of the year. He was unbelievable his last two years, went to the Rose Bowl his junior year, then his senior year. I mean, he, he was crazy productive at, at ASU. But for all the turmoil that the Sun Devil program has been through the last few years, you know, maybe a Kyle Soley was, was under the radar because of all that. Well, he did lead ASU in tackles each of the past two seasons and a three-time team captain so that speaks to not only the player on the field but off the field as well and you bring up the name Pat Tillman we need to bring this up as well because as these rookies walked on to the Dignity Health Arizona Cardinals training center for the first time together as a group when that bus arrived on Thursday afternoon yes all eyes went to Paris Johnson Jr. the first round draft pick everyone wants to know everyone wants to see him hear from him but when we saw him for the first time Paul he walked off the bus wearing a PT jersey, Arizona Cardinals. A tremendous first impression for someone who's not from this area, barely knows the Arizona Cardinals history, but does know the history of Pat Tillman. And guess what? If you do the math, his dad was a teammate of Pat Tillman's back in the late 90s, the one year that he spent with the Cardinals, Paris Johnson Sr. So there's that connection. But to hear him say that he's never bought a jersey before in his life until he bought that Pat Tillman jersey, that, that was pretty significant, and, and it was moving. You could tell how much the media sort of nodded and, and really jotted down furiously some of the notes when he was talking about that. So, look, if he, if he has that sort of maturity already and he has that sort of awareness as a kid just out of college, then guess what? He, I, you know, he, he could be a viable starting candidate day one, unlike a DJ Humphreys, who by his own admission was immature his rookie year, got in the doghouse of Bruce Arians, and then it wasn't until year two where his career started to take off. That does not appear to be the case with Paris Johnson Jr. He walks by, as does every player, walks by that Pat Tillman locker that our executive producer, Jim Omohundra, made sure that was saved when they reconstructed this facility to add more locker space. So, yeah, that Pat Tillman 
not just the jersey, but the entire locker is right there, an indication of how, one, the importance that he is to this franchise, and then just to see players. And we saw it for J.J. Watt when he first became an Arizona Cardinal and how much just seeing that and understanding more of the influence, again, on and off the field of Pat Tillman. And we've already seen him in some of the charity events. You know, for Pat, life was so much more than football. It was his 3.92 GPA at ASU. It was all the charity work he did. It was challenging himself in the offseason to run marathons and triathlons. It was just his appreciation for nature. You know, all the stories you'd hear about Pat and everything that he would do and he would challenge himself and he was a voracious reader, everything that went beyond football. And Paris Johnson Jr., think of his background already, the fact that he's been able to speak three different languages, got his degree in journalism, actually had his own beat on the school paper. So here's a pretty pretty varied guy with a, a diverse interests and background already. So, you know, in some ways, there is sort of that kindred spirit of a Pat Tillman and, and, and what Pat was all about. Did you happen to see when he was on the field where he was playing, where he was lined up? You mentioned just two offensive linemen. But how those two offensive linemen were set when there was somewhat of some team work. John Gaines snapping the ball to Clayton Toon. But where was Paris Johnson Jr. along that makeshift offensive Do line? Do tell. Don't make me wait. Yeah, that's a great observation. Are you? Where was he aligned? That's a good question. You can either line up in one and two spots when you're two people. I can either line up to your left or I can line up to your right. I see. Correct? Yeah. Well, Paris was lined up right of center. Mm. Now, is that right guard, right tackle? From our vantage point, difficult to tell, plus when you're only just two individuals, but the fact that it was the right side of the line of scrimmage, that's the key to me because as much as we've asked, whether it's the GM, the head coach, or Paris himself, where do you want to play? I just want to play. But you got to start somewhere, and it would appear that they are going to start Paris at right tackle perhaps, and compete there with maybe a Kelvin Beecham, a Josh Jones, and keep Will Hernandez at right guard where he played a year ago, and you have that veteran to kind of help out the rookie. But you know what? You could make a case for any of those three spots. You could say Will Hernandez spent his first four years in the league playing primarily the left guard spot. He's going to move back to left guard. And Paris Johnson Jr., two years ago, his sophomore year, started all 13 games at Ohio State at right guard so you could make a case that he's coming in and they're going to flop those two guards and Paris Johnson's going to be starting right guard next to Kelvin Beecham you could also make the case that number six overall and a highly accomplished rookie that the Cardinals are going to do what the Seahawks did last year and they're going to start him right out of the gate and they're just going to put him in a right tackle and say you're a future starting right tackle the future is now Kelvin Beecham guess what you're going to compete for an interior spot or you're just going to be a swing guy I could see that. I could see them saying, you're going to right tackle and you'll compete with Kelvin Beecham. Let's see how that shakes out because a year ago they did the same thing with Josh Jones and Beecham won that competition. So honestly, it could mean any of three things. As, as great an observation as that is, that he went to the right, uh, I, you know, and if we're going to believe in that, okay, but what does that mean for the other players that might be involved? The trickle down. Either scenario, whether it is right tackle or right guard, I do think it's important to have, whether that's a Will Hernandez as that veteran right guard with a rookie right tackle, 
Or if you're right guard as Paris Johnson Jr., you have that veteran right tackle in Kelvin Beecham. Flip it over. DJ Humphreys is your veteran left tackle, and all of a sudden Paris gets called, hey, we need you at left guard. To have someone where he can just lean on or have a quick, brief conversation as they break the huddle just to make sure, hey, Rook, you good? Or it's, hey, where do I what, – what was the call again? I, I'm a little – just those little nuances because you know, Paul, if you're not ready, regardless of where no. you are on that offensive line, you get blown off the ball, and then all of a sudden the quarterback's flat on his back. Well, look, Kelvin Beecham last year with the media was pretty straightforward that with that revolving door at times in the Cardinals' offensive line, there were moments there were moments where he thought the guy next to him playing right guard was going to do one thing, and the guy did another. And so there's a lot to be said for that. You don't need the five best starting offensive linemen in the league. You just need five offensive linemen working together. And so what does that mean? Is there? Do you minimize the learning curve if he's an interior guy? Here's the other thing. Who's playing center? So if you're going to have – let's just say perhaps it's a John Gaines or it's a Yelda Froholt who has limited experience at center. You can count on one hand how many starts he's made at that position. Okay, so what does that mean? Does that mean that you're more likely to put a veteran inside and kick – Paris Johnson Jr. out to right tackle so you can have experienced starting guards flanking an inexperienced center. It's Look, I'll just say this much, and I know we're going to get to the schedule. All you have to do <laughs> is look at the defensive linemen the Cardinals face in the first four games, whether it's Washington with the likes of a, of a Jonathan Allen and a Deron Payne and a Montez Sweat and Chase Young. I mean, You rank Chase Young like the fourth best defensive lineman on that team. And then you're going to get the Giants and Dexter Lawrence and Kayvon Thibodeau, right? And B.J. Ojolari's brother, Aziz, who really came along his rookie year. And then you get the Cowboys, Micah Parsons, and that deep defensive front, and they just took Mozzie Smith out of Michigan. And then you're going to get the 49ers in week four with Nick Bosa and now uh, Javon Hargrave. To me, my big takeaway – from that Cardinals schedule is right out of the gate, that Cardinals O-line, we're going to find out if they're NFL ready or not. That's your biggest takeaway from the schedule, Paul? Come on, I'm preferring to look at the first month <laughs> instead of the last let's, month. Let's, let's peel back the curtains here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, you're looking at the first four because you can't you, – you, mentally you can't get past October 1st because as you look at the schedule, and again, there are – Certain people, when the schedule comes out, and even on Sunday, if it's an outdoor facility and there's no roof, that you know we worry about here with the Arizona Cardinals. One is Chris Melvin, the senior director of media relations, because you know he's got to stand on the sideline, no protection. And then the other one is you, Paul, because you're out there, no protection, can't wear an umbrella, can't carry an umbrella, much to the yep. disappointment of one Danny Sarek, who thought she was going to be able to last year, but we said that's not possible. So, yeah, if it's one – Sun is beating down on you, rain, snow. How about just some snow flurries or that wind chill? So, yeah, it's it's not a schedule that is kind to the sideline reporter or non-combatant, if you prefer yeah. that, in the words of Ron Wolfley and his brother. But December trips to Pittsburgh, Chicago, which is on Christmas Eve. I'm sure the family will love that. Philadelphia, New Year's Eve. You're really oh, going to love that oh one. Oh, boy. So, yeah, three December trips to perhaps, my guess is, a lot of snow in Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Philly. 
I'm not in favor of global warming, but maybe in December of this year. You know, maybe it might get a little lucky. We'll get a rogue uh, warm spell through the eastern half of the U.S. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that, Gree. If you would have told me three games in December <laughs> at Chicago, at Philly, at Pittsburgh, uh, my first reaction was, was there somebody at Park Avenue that I offended? What's going on here exactly? So, okay, for Father's Day, I'm asking for new boots. Uh, I've mentioned that, and we're just going to have to go from there. You're just going to have to, uh, you know, just uh, just deal with it, be mentally tough. Jonathan Gannon and and this staff, they're, they're used to it, so they'll figure it out. But, yeah, no joke. Speaking of Jonathan Gannon, when he goes to Philadelphia, see, I think they kicked that all the way to Week 17 just to give the Eagles fans more time to simmer down now when their former defensive coordinator returns to town. And there's no question they're going to have all New Year's Eve to get nice and lubricated, and they won't be working New Year's Day. So uh, it'll be akin to Thanksgiving night 2008 when uh, they were were tailgating all day and didn't have to work the next day. And let's just say that was the most spirited, putting the spirit into spirited crowd I've seen in a long time. Your only saving grace for that game is that it is part of the early window. It's a 1 p.m. local kick as opposed to perhaps the late window on Fox or CBS, it is going to be that a Fox true, game, yeah. though. So it, it's at least the tailgating, the morning tailgating is shorter. That window, because if they had kicked it to, you know, 425 Philadelphia time, that would not have been to your benefit. Isn't the Wednesday before Thanksgiving considered the biggest party night of the year? Yes. So maybe they'll be a little worn out, if you will, and, and not all that uh, willing to imbibe at that point in the morning when they get ready for a 1 o'clock kick. And I wondered, you brought it up because it is week 17, and it's been much of the talk of the offseason as far as the Philadelphia media, what Jonathan Gannon did or did not do and how much time he put in or did not put in going into the Super Bowl and the fact that he did not address the media after the Super Bowl. If the Eagles are rolling, does Jonathan Gannon even become a, a story, a major headline? If the Eagles are going in to those final two weeks, leading the division, maybe a top the conference or one of the top four seeds you're looking at the playoffs and then it comes the Cardinals whatever happens maybe Kyler Murray maybe not the focus really can't be on a defensive coordinator when you potentially could be sitting with 10 11 12 wins well don't put it past the Eagles fans that's, okay yeah, to, to, to be small in that way and uh and never forget uh I, look the Eagles have the NFL's toughest schedule based on last year's win-loss records, which we know usually aren't. By the end of the year, uh, that strength of schedule can be a borderline joke based on how much change there is year to year. But based on that division, based on everything, the expectations, based on what they've added, yeah, there's a lot of other storylines and a lot of other pressure on the Eagles this season, no, no question about it. And look, Nick Sirianni lost his offensive coordinator and his defensive coordinator. So we'll see. There's been a lot of change in Philadelphia for a roster that stayed mainly intact. We'll see how they respond with the Giants and Cowboys ramping things up in that same division. By the way, just looking at this schedule, for me, what stands out as far as the toughest stretch is that week four through seven. Those four games with three division games all on the road, 49ers, Rams, and Seahawks with a home game against Joe Burrow and the Bengals in week five. Whether or not Kyler Murray is available for maybe that first game in week four at San Francisco or we don't see him until later October, early November, still don't know. We did get a brief update from Coach Gannon on Friday when asked about Kyler Murray. He said he's doing good, making strides, but, quote, He's a long way away, but did note 
that the team is a long way away from playing a game. So what happens here in May, it's just, it's just it's newsworthy because it's the starting quarterback, but it is, it is going to be that topic that keeps get, gets brought up until we see number one on the field. And you're right. You look at that. We you know for everything that is the start of the season, road trip to Washington. They're going to have a new ownership group. You know the fans are going to be fired up more than they have in at least a decade plus under the former owner. And so that's going to be a big deal. Don't think that all those players aren't going to want to show up and show out and ball out for the new ownership group. Then you get the Giants at home. They fortified things. By the way, attention, Giants. I know you got Jalen Hyatt in round three from Tennessee, and you're proud of yourselves for trading up, making that selection. We'll see. We'll see what that rookie receiver is all about in week two. We'll see if maybe you should have made a play for DeAndre Hopkins in the offseason when you think that you can just plug and play some of these these rookie receivers. We'll find out. And then, of course, you have the Cowboys at home. So for the fact that weeks four through seven will be even more formidable, that's saying something. I just look at it from the division. Where those division games, the first three all on the road, and again, you have no idea who's going to be quarterback in the team for the Cardinals. But just you look at those division games and they're – Boom, 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 and then oh, what? By the way, you got the Bengals coming in, who are riding a lot with Burrow at the helm. And think about it: the DC Lou Anarumo, he's one of the finalists for the Cardinals gig. That that'll be interesting. Yeah, but in terms of the Cardinals' home schedule, the Cowboys coming to town always a circus, always a show. You know, the Giants will be interesting. Daniel Jones and everything they gave him the big money. Okay, you see, but Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow coming to town part of that Cardinals home schedule this year, that'll be something to behold. He That guy is such a competitor. He's taken the Bengals to a two-time now AFC North champion. They're still seeking their first Super Bowl win. You know, somebody asked him, my favorite quote of the offseason was somebody asked Joe Burrow, well, what do you think the window is with the Bengals in terms of, you know, Super Bowl aspirations with this roster? And his answer was, my entire career, that's the window for a championship in Cincinnati. <laughs> Love it. Love the bravado when you can back it up. And then you go to the Rams, and look, the Rams are coming off the worst season by a defending Super Bowl champ in NFL history. I think they're a complete wild card. They got like three primetime games. I really wonder if the networks are going to regret putting the Rams into primetime three times this year. Once again, believe your eyes. Until they fix the offensive line with the L.A. Rams, I'm not a believer. Matthew Stafford, though, is participating in offseason work. He did not a year ago, so that elbow and the issue that he fought through all last season, that appears to be in the rearview mirror. But, yeah, to your point, they don't have much outside of Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, and Aaron Donald. It's a lot of unknown, and that might be a game in which the Cardinals are looking in the mirror and say, hey, you know, yeah, you got the Super Bowl, but we're right in the same boat. And, hey, as long as we're bagging on division rivals, you know, why not? The very next game, Week 7 at Seattle – Hey, for everything the Seahawks have done and they have seemingly crushed the last two draft classes, I'll give them that. You have to. Um, that defensive front, are they going to be able to stop the run? If the Cardinals get out of their out of their run game and run attack what they want this year and James Conner in a contract year and the Cardinals can figure out that offensive line, the way to combat the fact that you have Tariq Woolen and Devin Witherspoon in the secondary – is to go straight at that Seahawks front seven. Bobby Wagner is back. He wasn't very good the last time he was in Seattle, his final year there. So I'm curious because if you can't stop the run, not only is that a quick a quick pathway to a loss, but it's just flat demoralizing to your entire team. And after they just lost Al Woods and they didn't do much in the draft or everything they did do in the draft, they really didn't address that 
that front defensive line. So we'll see. Eight home games, six of those games against playoff teams from a year ago. Interested in any of those games, all of those games, azcardinals.com forward slash buy tickets, azcardinals.com forward slash buy tickets. Says that season will be here before you know it. Phase three approaching. we got OTAs coming up at the end of the month. Paul, the mandatory veteran minicamp or just the mandatory minicamp period, all players. Now the question is, does D-Hop show? What about Buda Baker? Or are they given passes as Chandler Jones was given a pass a year ago after requesting a trade? I'd be surprised if we saw either one of them, especially DeAndre Hopkins. I, I just think that the trade that did not go down during the draft was in part negotiations, was a stance taken by the GM Monty Austin Ford that there will be significant compensation for a guy who can still be easily considered a top 10 receiver in the game when he's healthy and he's right and could be the difference in an AFC championship game for a Buffalo or a Kansas City. You know, it could be a difference for a New York Giants team trying to compete in the NFC East. So we'll see. I think for that reason that he will not be part of the Cardinals offseason, and then we'll see what happens leading up to training camp. Uh, Buda Baker, that's a different story. I firmly believe he is still part of the future, just a matter of when, and maybe more likely a matter of what they're going to do about his contract, how much in, in, in particular. So we'll see. But look, if there's one guy in this roster who's completely proven and you don't need to see in the offseason and you have no worries or qualms that he's working and he'll be ready to go once training camp starts, that would be Buda Baker. And you can see that just on his social media platforms as well. The video that he is tweeting out or putting on Instagram that, yeah, he is still working. He just might not be within this building. So something to keep an eye on as we get deeper and deeper into the offseason. Again, the news of the day, though, and I'll say it again, Paul, the news of the week, news of the month, Matt Hawk on this roster. Polly Punter, I'm anxiously awaiting that sit down or the expose, if you will, the deep dive, the 30 for 30, the uh, E60 piece on just the overall punter position and maybe uh, maybe the return of Andy Lee as well. Well, we've got to wait and see on that. Hey, you know, as an ASU guy, we'll get him together with, uh, you know, with Kyle Soley. You know, maybe there's an ASU angle in that one. But once again, Craig, especially when you're going on the road in December <laughs> and some of these, these bad weather games – Boom, you got a defense, you got a punter, you, you have a chance. You know, if you can, you can win the uh, field position game, there's that. I mean, you're going against, and I'll just, I'll just throw this out there as well because we stopped at week seven. I just, I should have stopped at week eight when we were looking at the schedule. The Ravens are coming to town. I tell you, over the last five years, one of the games I really enjoyed, I could count on one hand, if I did a Pauly Power Poll over here, it would be game two of Kyler's career, Kyler Murray against Lamar Jackson. It was just such an intriguing quarterback matchup. And you could tell the two of them were competing against each other. Who's the more dynamic quarterback? Which quarterback is going to keep a defense on its heels more? So you just pray that Kyler is fully healthy by that point in the season, and you can have that sort of marquee matchup that is just waiting to happen when Lamar Jackson comes to town. And dare I say, based off what we anticipate this upcoming season look like, maybe, Paul, you're on to something because perhaps punting might be the biggest advantage or the biggest weapon for this Cardinals team, especially if you don't know what you have at quarterback and then just maybe – uh, some struggles, if you will, offensively for this team. Well, sure. And, and then if Matt Prater can be healthy when he was healthy a year ago, 
and when he had his full battery, his regular long snapper and his regular holder, he was excellent. He was absolutely excellent. There was one game where things got sideways and sort of skewed some of his stats. A lot of that had to do, once again, with the operation and the battery. But if you can dial that down and the kicking game can be solid and, and the defense can be reliable, you know, still remains to be seen what they're going to do in that interior defensive line, who's going to step up. Maybe there'll be some veteran signings by guys who are going about missing the offseason just in time to show up for training camp. I'm not exactly sure. But, uh, you know, look, you go into some of these games and you figure the Cardinals are definitely going to have more of an emphasis of running the ball. And it could just be a totally different look this year. It really could in terms of style, in terms of substance, on both sides of the ball. A lot of unknown, which makes this season very intriguing for a lot of people. And, of course, when you're wanting to know what's going on with the special teams, just come right here. Paul will <laughs> fill you in on everything you need to know about the three, dare I say, four most important positions on the field. Not name the quarterback position. That is your kicker, your punter, your holder, and your long snap. You didn't even get into Yelda Froholt <laughs> and that story by Darren Urban. Oh, that was uh, you know strong man. The strong man. He calls himself. It was a great find by our Jim Almahundra when we looked at the social media of Yelda Froholt. He calls himself the Danish Army Knife. <laughs> that is outstanding because he's so versatile and the positional flexibility. But yeah, he, we have a different nickname for him. We're gonna we're gonna start calling him Magnus Ver Froholt. <laughs> is in honor of the World's Strongest Man competition some 25 years ago because he has the Atlas Stones in his home gym, just like a strongman competition. Can I be in the area, the vicinity, when you tell him that you've just <laughs> bestowed upon him a nickname? I just want to see the reaction, whether you get thrown across the room or yeah. you get a handshake, pat on the back. Yeah, he might turn me into a javelin. There's there's no doubt about that. And, and the fact that he's in his mid-20s, um, I'm just praying he actually knows what the reference is. He's got to know. I mean, come on, if he's a strongman competition of fishing, He's got to know Magnus for Magnuson, right? Google it if you're not familiar with it. Check it out on YouTube. Long time ESPN videos, platform material, programming. Always, especially overnight. Late night, especially. He saved ESPN before they had all the big four sports for programming. He was the programming. For the story on Froholt and all things Arizona Cardinals, go to azcardinals.com. And on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Almohandro. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2. 